This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. We've been talking about humility, and if you have just joined us, how many of you have come just you've come back now to Stellenbosch this week, or you've sort of just joined us this week? Raise your hands. Welcome to those people. Um, but we've been busy on um, a couple of weeks on the theme of grace and uh, humility because the Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. And unfortunately, in our culture, we have a culture of entitlement and a culture, even if you grow up um, in South Africa or in the, with a Western mindset, unfortunately, don't assume that you have a biblical mindset when you grow up in the West, especially today teaches you to be independent and to do your own thing, to be strong, you know, and especially to portray a lot of things on the outside. So a lot of image on Instagram or Facebook or whatever you're on, you know, to, to portray the best image on the outside to the world. But we all know that that's a bit fake. It's very superficial. And, and yet we still sometimes try to like, uh, check those number of likes we get, you know, on Instagram, like, uh, you know, how many likes did I get? There's actually like engineers, you know, people that are employed in America that they just, they just design everything for more likes because it's money. It's, it's like, hey, I'm famous, the more likes I get. And so yet when it comes to the things of God, God has got certain desires for us and, and, and certainly enables us to do His will through grace and through an attitude of a certain group of believers. And those, it's that those who are humble. And we said a definition for humility is not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. Either you're selfish or you're going to be selfless. And when you've been designed to <laughs> You know, to be selfless, it's actually, it's not this like, oh, you know, I'm a worm. I'm going to, this is the worst thing. It's actually the greatest joy to live in the way that God has created you to be. Uh, yet the world lies to us by all these fake things and keeping us distracted and keeping you busy. And, um, you know, I asked last Sunday that how many of you have realized that there's some, during this lockdown time, the last couple of six months, that your fa the family that you live with or the people that you live with has got some issues. Raise your hand. Raise it very high. You think like, we've got issues. We, we've realized we've got issues. How many of you during that process realized that you are part of that issue? You, you, you're part of that. There's like some haha quick is coming out. You know, you think like, oh, maybe I'm at the center of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so it's so easy in that process to either you know, soften your heart and realize like, oh, I, I, need to, I need to fix some things. Or you need, you're going to harden your heart. You're going to get offended. You're going to even get offended with God. And so humility is that attitude of being rooted. And we saw this last week. I'm going to read it quickly in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Let's read it together, but read it like you want to read it, okay? Proverbs 3. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. 
Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So trusting God and being dependent on God is 101 of Christianity. A dependence, a yieldedness, a yielded vessel. In Joel it says, render your hearts, not your garments. Render yourself. God is not interested in being superficial or showing him all the nice stuff or fixing yourself before you come to him. You have to come. Just come as you are. And so the second thing we looked at is an awareness of our brokenness. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, Paul pleaded with God and says, God, please take away this thorn in my flesh. And then the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In weakness, God's strength is attracted to your weakness. But if you build a wall between you and God, and especially between you and God's people, then you're going to be a fighter. You're going to do it on your own strength. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <laughs> Whoa. And I told you the story of when we went to the nation of Iran, and um, we got it completely wrong. Because we thought we're going to add something to what God is doing. And, um, and then after a couple of days of just hiding in a house, in a basement somewhere, um, the Lord told us, you are going to pray tomorrow, not with your fancy words, but with your tears. Sure. And we wept for three hours nonstop, just lying on the floor. I, I, I've never seen so much water. <laughs> we were just 12 guys. Weeping uncontrollably. Out of the, after that three hours, we, we, were, we were gone for three days. Ladies, hallelujah, you are a miracle from the Lord. You weep your hearts out, all the water out. An hour later, you're like, let's go on with life. And I'm thinking like, how did you just do that? Lay hands on me, you know. I'm like a wreck, you know, after I've, I've wept. I thought like, oh, first I try to hide myself. And then I think like, because men are like that, you know. The hay fever, there's different, different grades of weeping, you know. Most of it, we, I stay in the hay fever side, you know. The, just like, <laughs> you're just like, you know. Oh, but when you weep, when it comes from here, you're like, mm, you know, it's like, oh, you know. And the guy who was the strongest of the team, he started to weep. And I think that's why we all started to weep, because he thought, like, well, this must be the Lord, you know. <laughs> if he weeps like that, it must be the Lord, yeah. But out of that vulnerability, out of that weakness, that's, those are the people God used. Not the strong and the mighty. Not the fix-it club, you know. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I'm like that. I, I want to fix things. I want to, I'm a natural encourager. So I want people to feel good, you know, and, and I, I want people to like, I'm one of those people when, when I invite you for food to come and eat, then there's always more than enough, you know. Anybody like that, you know. We, we just like, you know, the worst nightmare is if, if the food runs out, you know. It's like, oh, my God, you know, it wasn't a nice time. But the crazy thing is we, we get trained to try to fix ourselves. And if you're not aware of your brokenness and your weakness and learn to take that vulnerability to God, you're going to get into trouble because you're going to run out of steam. You're going to strive. 
strive for his love, compete with other Christians, compete with the church around the corner. Oh, their worship is like this. And our worship, at least we're not half marcy people. We're like full mast. Yeah? Then everything becomes envy, strife, competition. The third thing we looked at is, like Paul prays in Philippians chapter 1, and we, we're sort of talking through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, he prays that their love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then eventually Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's writing it from prison. And he's just, Aphrodite brought him this gift and he's just overwhelmed by this gift. And, and he says, even my change, let it be to God's glory. He's writing from prison. And he says, I, I pray that you'll be like-minded. And then we get this awesome chapter in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 and 4, it goes on to chapter 4. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we quote that one, but we don't want to quote chapter 1 and 2. My God shall supply in all your needs, brother, according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 13 and 19, yeah? We like those scriptures. Prosper me, Lord. I met a guy in, in the Middle East who flew out and we had sort of like a, we had a conference. The conference name is How to Joyfully Endure Persecution. That was the theme of the conference. How to to with joy endure persecution. That, that's the theme of the three-day conference we had. It's not like, hey, bless shaken together and running over, you know. And then the crazy thing is, this one uncle told me, and he's five years younger than me, but in any case, so this one uncle, he said, um, the problem with the West is they pray mostly for their own happiness. Lord, please be with me so that I can be happy. While the prayers in the Middle East is quite different. Lord, please don't take away the persecution because we need more of you. So Paul says, don't let my chains become an offense. Don't get offended in this time when things don't. Because he's writing to them, they're going into great persecution. The church in Philippi, it was a Roman colony and the Romans were very patriotic and the Christians were busy the church was growing and expanding, and now he says to him, look, yeah, I'm in chains, but I'm telling you, oh, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Let your righteousness be to the glory of God. And then lastly, we saw that humility is living in the light, accountability with God. That's what he writes in Philippians 2, this start. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. So that's last week's sermon. Amen, are you ready? <laughs> okay, fasten your seatbelt. Here we go. So the fruit of humility, how, how does it look if you're humble? Now, remember, people cannot tell you whether you are humble or not. Only God can. Humility is a position before God. And even Moses wrote, and Moses was the most humble man that walked on the face of the earth. Whoa. Humility is your position before God. And so if you are superior or feel inferior, that's pride. So I remember um, sitting in Lagos, Nigeria with Um Reinhard Bunker. And I've told this story before, but he says, well, now he's sitting, we're busy eating chicken, and he says the following. He says, I'm God's top servant in the world today. And I'm <clears throat> choking on the chicken. I think like, oh, my God, this guy is full of pride, you know. It's quite arrogant to say that you're God's top servant. But he says, and then he started to tell me. 
He said, well, the, an angel appeared to the president of Ghana and told him that he must invite the God's top servant to the world, uh, in the world, to Ghana, to come and preach in Ghana. And then an angel appeared to the president of Kenya and asked, told him, invite Reinhard Bonke to come. He's my top servant in the world at the moment. And so after the third angel said that in a dream to the president of those nations, when Reinhard said, well, if God says that about me, who am I to disagree So humility can actually look very bold if you're doing the will of God. But boldness and arrogance, uh, fine line, eh? So the fruit of humility, the first one, let's look at the life of Jesus or the first part. Listen to the, word of, the words of Jesus. The son can do nothing of himself. I can of my own self do nothing. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will. These are the words of Jesus. I receive not glory from men. I'm come not to do my own will. My teaching is not mine. I'm not come of myself. I do nothing of myself. I have not come of myself, but he sent me. I seek not my own glory. The words that I speak, that I say, I speak not from myself. The life of Jesus was a surrendered life. It was a life completely dependent on God. So the first thing, the fruit is, it means to be nothing before God. <laughs> Whew. Listen to what Uncle Murray says, Andrew Murray, and the Christian life has suffered loss where believers have not been distinctly guided to see that even in our relation as creatures, nothing is more natural and beautiful and blessed than to be nothing that God may be all. John 15, verse 4 and 5, at the end he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Galatians 6 verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We live in a town that is so full of pride. The first thing that people ask you is, what are you studying? What school did you go to? Where do you come from? What's your CV? And those things are important. But in the presence of God, they're not. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Bernou. And Herbie. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <laughs> I enjoyed that too much, but in any case, um, it was just to make sure everybody's awake, because some people are being drifting to the donuts, but I will forgive you later. Get behind us. Get on the side of us. I don't know, but in any case. So a yieldedness to God's work, when you come from a position that I am nothing and I know nothing, is the most humble position before God. That doesn't mean be a doormat and everybody walks over every Christian. I'm talking about a position before God. Without Him, you are nothing. Leave your theology at the door. Leave your experience at the door. And enter in. Revelations 4 verse 11 says, They shall cast their crowns before the thrones, so saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for you did create all things, and because of your will, they are and were created. It's by the will of God that you've been created, that I've been created. It's God's work. And we must learn from Jesus. 
We must learn of Jesus, how he's meek and lowly of heart. He teaches us where true humility takes its rise and finds its strength in the knowledge that it is God who works all in all, that our place is to yield to him in perfect resignation and dependence, in full consent to be and to do nothing of ourselves. This is the life of Christ come to reveal and to impart a life to God that came through death to sin and self. Sure, it's big words, eh? It's not my words. Uncle Murray. Okay, Andrew Murray. The second thing, true humility, the fruit of that true humility is to serve. Whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came to serve. Some of us are natural servants. When I came here at 8 o'clock this morning, there were a bunch of guys and ladies here already serving. They're not interested just to arrive to an event. There sits the Prim of Helderberg. 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 Come here, tall man. I thought I'm going to just bless him today. Because, you know, this morning he was here. He had a lot of work to do. And then he came from 7 o'clock and he came every Sunday, I think in the last eight Sundays, the Prim of Helderberg came to help to set up this church so that you can enjoy the presence of God. So I had to leave early, and then tonight he's here again at church. And I'm thinking like, wow, God? Now he's probably about blushing. <laughs> but see, we don't commend that, but sometimes we have to just stop and say, wow, Lord, I wonder why you give certain positions to certain people. Because if you want to be a leader, you need to be a servant. Thank you very much. It says that he simply taught us the blessed truth that there is nothing so divine and heavenly as being the servant and helper of all. The faithful servant who recognizes his position finds a real pleasure in supplying the wants of the master or his guests. To serve God and to serve his people. I normally choose the student leaders of the next year by just going to the kitchen. By just checking who arrives before the service to serve and not to be served. Because then you realize, like, wow, that guy, he's going to go places. That lady, she's going to go places with God. Because she's learned the basic thing of Christianity is worship, serve. To wait on God is to serve God. I'm not just a waiter. Wow. It's getting very quiet here. Very quiet. Are you still with me? Okay, the third thing. Fruit of humility is to keep on growing to be teachable. Jesus said it in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart. Learn from me, because I am meek. Jesus makes the statement, I'm meek, I'm, I'm humble. Come and learn from me. Your life as a Christian is a learning process. is a sanctification. Yes, you get saved, and then you get sanctified. God says, come to me just as you are, but I'm not going to leave you that way. <laughs> Whoa. Listen to what Paul says. I, I wish we could just spend three hours just on those couple of scriptures. As Paul progressed in his life with God, he progressed. He writes the first letter, and then he ends with the last one. <laughs> in Timothy, I'm the least of the apostles that I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. 
I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He says, I worked very hard. I didn't just like, wait, but yo, I persecuted the church. I'm, I'm the least of the apostles. Then he goes on a little bit later in his life and he says, unto me who I'm less than the least of all the saints, of all the Christians. I'm the least of all of them. Was this grace given to preach to the heathen, to the unsaved people? He says, there's a grace for me to step into that, to yes, work hard. There's a grace to preach. And then lastly, at the end of his life, he says, I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and, and injurious, but how about I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. From being the least apostle to the least of all the sinners. But how many Christians do we hear? You're like, yo, Lord, just strike these sinners with lightning, you know? Just... Just move them out, you know. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, you. The fourth thing, and there are only 12 things, hallelujah, is to live a life of obedience. Philippians 2 verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Humility means the giving up of self and the taking of the place of perfect nothingness before God. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death. In death he gave the highest, the perfect proof of having given up his will to the will of God. Death symbolizes something in Christ Jesus' life. is a giving up of his will. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Your highest way of worship is not the songs that we sing on a Sunday. Your highest way of worship is to be obedient to what God has called you to do. And if that is to clean the toilets, then you clean the toilets. But do it as worship unto Him. He's not a taskmaster, sir. Oh, He's just a slave. But whatever you do, do it unto God. Do it heartily unto Him. Wow, what a privilege. What a privilege. I've told you so many times, you know, when we've been there in Pakistan and um, there things work a bit different. You know, just the, the one, we were there for six days and within those six days, 22 bombs went off in the city of Karachi. It's crazy eh, how we pretend. <laughs> it is just amazing. So we arrived there and I told the story before, but we arrived there and then the pastor says like, don't worry, you know. We're not in danger. I said, is it a bit dangerous? I heard on the news it's a bit dangerous. So now it's, we're in Pakistan on the airport. We've arrived. We can't go back. The next plane is only the next day. And he says, don't worry, my friend, you know. Um, a bomb went off, but it was quite far from the place that we stay. I said, okay, how oh, great. How far was that? No, 800 meters. I'm thinking like, Lord, when's the next plane out of here? <laughs> yeah. But the amazing thing is, you know, when you're in a situation like that, I remember driving out the one day out of this compound place and we were basically going into the street. Now we've been hiding for almost three days, just waiting for stuff to slow down a little bit. As we drive out, a bomb goes off 100 meters and we just reverse back in and then we stay another two days. Hallelujah. How's that for a nice hotel? The crazy thing is, the one night we wait for this pastor and the pastor doesn't arrive. Four hours, I think, like, sure. So it's not just in Africa we have Africa time. It's also in Pakistan we have Pakistan time, you know. And then the pastor arrived and he says, do you know what? I came late because um, I had a, 
a bit of a fight with my pastor friend on the other side of Karachi. And um, I realized Jesus said I must forgive instantly. So I had to drive to him to sort out this thing. Um, because that's what scripture says. To not harbor any offense and to forgive him quickly. Because most probably one of us would be dead tomorrow if we don't do that. And then sometimes we harbor unforgiveness for years, decades in our lives. But you see, when, when you're a yielded vessel and you become obedient, it's, it's the highest honor is to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The highest honor in your life is to not be obsessed with yourself, but to begin to say like, wow, there's, there's a God that's bigger. And I, I've got this privilege to make him famous, to make him glorious, to stand and to hide, you know. So one day I was going and um, I had this healing, we had this healing service and I was really on fire and I was thinking like, yes, Lord, we're going to pray for all the healing people, you know. And so um, we went here to Franschhoek and there's probably like 400 people or 500 people in the room. And so it's a healing service. So I teach on healing, the fact that God still wants to heal. He does that. His miracles, I've seen mute people speak and blind people see and deaf ears open up like in the Bible, still happening. And so now I preach on healing, you know, and I'm thinking like, yo, I'm psyched up. I fasted. I'm already, it's like going for it. And there's like four students that's come with me. And so now it comes to the altar call time and people come to the front, but like four rows of people, everyone wanting to receive healing. So I start here on the left-hand side and I lay hands on the one and nothing happens. Lay hands on the second one, nothing happens. Lay hands on the third one, nothing happens. And so I go through the row, come to the end, and my lip is like right here at the bottom. Lord, what's happening? Lord, what are you doing? You know, this is a healing service. You know, should I remind you in the scripture that by stripes we are healed? You know, you begin to pray these desperate prayers, you know, as if God doesn't know his own word, you know. And, um, and so there's this one guy, this student, he did, um, he did his PhD, no, his master's in maths. And so he's like this just ordinary guy, and he starts on the side where I started. So I'm, I'm already three quarters through the row. And as he starts, the first person just like, poof, their ears open up and they get healed instantly. Then he prays for the second person, and poof, the person is healed instantly. Should we say boof? No. So, wow, the second person is healed instantly. Kadoof, the third person is healed instantly. So I'm there, and I'm, now I'm looking over my shoulder, and I'm thinking like, no, Lord. Can I remind you who was the one who fasted this week? Without food, just water. Just water. Only water, Lord. Man shall not live by bread alone, you know. I wonder how much this student fasted, you know. And so he begins to pray and everybody gets healed. And now I'm standing there. Now I have to work through my offense. And I'm thinking like, oh, my Gona, Lord, you, you got the wrong ticket here. Can I show you my ID? Can I, you know, now you go through all this stuff, you know. Because even like, who's the spiritual person here? And the next moment the Holy Spirit says to me, go stand behind the curtain and pray for that guy. I've chosen him to pray for those people. 
Okay, Lord. Lord, please bless Philip. Now I have to work through all my offenses. I have to stand there and I think like, and that guy begins to pray. And the Lord just heals everyone in the place. And the Lord says, whether it's you, whether it's him, it doesn't matter. It's about my kingdom. See, if we're not humble, we will sometimes not recognize the people God chooses that doesn't fit into our little box. Because, hey, he didn't study seven years of theology, or he hasn't raised five people from the dead, and hasn't, like, been a pastor for, how can you? God is busy raising up five-year-olds. God is busy raising up nine-year-olds. And the only reason why the Pharisees did not recognize who Jesus was is because of spiritual pride. Oh, spiritual pride is ugly. Because God is no respecter of people. Did you know that? God loves you. And when you're saved, you're going to go to heaven. But it doesn't, doesn't mean God wants to use you and he's going to use you. He wants to use you, but it doesn't mean he's going to use you. It doesn't mean he's going to share all of his mysteries with you. But he gives grace to the humble. So what does that mean to us? Number five is to be occupied with God. Listen to what Uncle Murray says. It is the sinner dwelling in the full light of God's holy redeeming love, in the experience of that full indwelling of divine love which comes through Christ and the Holy Spirit, who cannot but be humble. That's you and me. We cannot but be humble. Not to be occupied with your sin, but to be occupied with God brings deliverance from self. Because our natural tendency is fix yourself. When you come to God, oh, no, no, try to be perfect. Try to like, you know, oh, you didn't read enough Bible this week. Oh, so obviously you're not like a good Christian. You're not like the pastor, you know. You're not like this person. But to be occupied with God, set your mind and your heart on things above. Because your life is hidden in Christ. Isn't that what Paul pleads for? So God, I want to see you more. More of you, less of me. More of you. Less of me. I want to tell you a secret. The greatest miracles that I've seen in my life, I was the most shocked that they happened. Because I just happened to be there. It wasn't because I had great faith. I saw two people raised from the dead. Jesus raised them. I really. <laughs> if I have to tell you what I thought. <laughs> Run, Forrest, run! You know? <laughs> it wasn't like these super spiritual days. Because why when God does a miracle, you will know it's him. Because <laughs> all you do, you sh you're just a willing vessel. You're just there where he places you to be. And you serve and you pray and you consecrate. And you say, Lord, come, stretch out your hand. Heal, touch, deliver. But that's, that's you, Lord. It's not me. I don't heal. I don't deliver. I can't. I can't save. I, I can do absolutely nothing but be available. Say, so here am I, Lord. Send me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. So my occupation becomes an obsession with God. Not with the things of God. With God himself. 
And that draws me to a place of intimacy and worship. Because the more I get to know God, the more I want to know Him. The more I say, well, oh Lord, I don't know. I've not, I've not arrived. And listen to the promise, the last promise that Jesus then gives us. He says, he that humbles himself shall be exalted. In Luke 4, verse 14, verse 11, and 18, verse 14, God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall exalt you. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So suddenly the Daniel becomes ruler of the nation, and the Joseph becomes ruler of the nation. And all they did was like, uh. But when I see the pattern in their lives, there were so many times when they could get offended. Joseph, like, hey, Lord, I interpreted the dreams, and the guy didn't even come back. These brothers tried to kill me. And in Genesis, I think it's 52, at the end, at the end of Joseph's life, his brother stands before him, and he's got all the right to vindicate himself and kill his own brothers that try to kill him. And he says, what you meant for evil. God has designed it for good. Joseph never hardened his heart. Daniel, every day, just opened the window and pray. Daniel's friend said, Lord, said to King Nebuchadnezzar, whether you did, God delivers us or not, doesn't matter. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what Paul said, not them. But they said, whether God delivers us from this fiery furnace or not, it doesn't matter. We will not bow to these idols. You see, there comes a place where God begins to exalt you. Where God begins to then give you favor. Where God begins to release you. And it's, it's so different than the prosperity gospel that we are listening to today on American TV. <laughs> that God really wants to, he's just here for your happiness. He's not. Because it's going to cost you something. And humility is, is a virtue that attracts the power of God. That attracts the, the grace of God into your life. But it means you and I need to learn how to live in that space with God and with each other. And that's why I said to the church at the beginning of this year, last year, and I said, hey, if you want to be part of this church, it's going to become messy. If you want to be part of this church, relationships are messy. You're going to get offended. You're going to want to run away. You're gonna, God is going to sometimes sign the spotlight on your heart and then you realize like, oh, all the haha stuff that comes out, you know. Woo, I'm not as perfect as I think I am, you know. <laughs> That's the best place to be. That's the best place to be. I was speaking to a couple of people over the past couple of weeks. One of them is like a politician in a very high position. He says, I'm trying to fix everything and I'm working so hard and it doesn't work. I said, Great. Surrender. <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. It can't be that easy. I say, it's not easy. <laughs> but that's the invitation to the church. The Jews missed the visitation of God. Next, next week we're going to end off because Hebrews says it and Paul writes it often. He says, there's going to be a stumbling stone or a rock of offense. A stumbling stone means that it's like, like a little speed wobble. Have you ever driven here past Paul Ruiz and you've not seen that there are a lot of speed wobbles? I, at a stage, I had this old church. I was driving the, the, the old church bucky and all the springs were gone, you know, all the springs, you know. And these little wobbles, they 
there's no stripes over them. So if you have no springs in your car, as you go over the first one, you get a bit of momentum. As you go over the second one, the first one's momentum is added to the second one's momentum. It's almost like you are blue bucky, you know? That, that small one. Have you, have you got springs in your bucket? I think, no. But you must see, you are go like this in the bucket. You know, he never drives past here. He always goes on the other side. But so, you know, because how does the multiplayer fit into that small bucket? Half of him hangs out of the side. But in any case, sorry, you are, but... So here I go, and after the third wobble, I realize, like, yes, the river, we're going to swim today, <laughs> you know, with the bucket. Because <laughs> yeah. we ran around this corner, and I just realized, like, you know, because you're going, or you're going on your way, and you don't realize there's a couple of speed wobbles. And then I had to break, and the brakes didn't work at this little circle. I went to visit Blumhoff. So no, no entry sign. Went straight across. God was good to me. There was no other cause, you know. But I took so much momentum. I was always like, I was almost on the way <laughs> into the Easter River. So what is a stumbling stone? A stumbling stone is an invitation to come and break yourself. Because you've been going at a speed. You've been, you've been walking your own road. And then God says, come, come and fall on this rock. Or the message of Jesus will become a rock of offense like we saw in so many people's lives that harden their hearts. And you're either going to love Jesus or you're going to hate him. Jesus will offend you by the things that he asks of you because you can't do them. That's the message of the cross. That's the message of the gospel, people. That's the message of surrender. Come, I'm going to ask something of you that you cannot do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you like a friend, but I can't love you unconditionally. Feed my sheep. Love my people, Peter. Peter, do you love me? No, Lord, I don't love you the way that you love me. But as you're going to learn to live with the people around you, I'm going to teach you unconditional love. Come, Peter. If I was Jesus, I would have said to Peter, Peter, let's settle those three times you denied me. Come, sign ya. I will never do it again and write it out 532 times. Jesus didn't once speak about Peter's denial. He just walked up to Peter. Peter is busy catching fish. Jesus is standing on the shore. Peter has run back to fishing. He's denied Jesus, not just denied Jesus, him and the disciples. Three years of teaching, gone. Peter says, let's go back fishing. And here the rest of the bunch goes back with him. So Jesus stands on the shore. Go read it in John. I think John chapter 20. Jesus just stands and he's prying fish. There must have been some sausage and meat there as well. Okay. And he says, come Peter. He doesn't say, let's talk about that denial. Let's talk about your imperfection. Let's talk about. He says, Peter, do you love me? I'm going to teach you how you're going to love me. And Peter is so embarrassed because he just comes from the boat. He's just come right there, and everybody knows. Everyone knows, like, awkward, humiliated. Oh, what is Jesus going to say? Do you love me, Peter? Are you willing to go and do what I ask of you, what you can't do yourself? You're going to need me to love you. You're going to need me to love me. <laughs> So the love of God has been shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You cannot love God. Sorry. 
You can't love. Just, just don't even try. You can only love him with the love that he gives you. You don't have that capacity. I don't have that capacity to love unconditionally. But as you submit, as you grow, as you say, Lord, I humble myself, I surrender. It's so amazing to love in the unlovable world. And the world is waiting for the church to begin to love, to humble themselves. Will you stand with me tonight as we're going to pray? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.